attack. You may recall late last year the US imposed sweeping export restrictions on shipments of chip-making tools to China, seeking to disrupt Beijing's expansion of its chip industry, that's microchips, and enhance its military capabilities. At that time, the US was encouraging other countries to follow suit. Well, it's now being reported that the US has maybe struck a deal with Japan and the Netherlands. Angus Kidman is the international editor-at-large at Finder. Welcome back to RN Drive. My pleasure. <laughs> Angus, why did the US target these countries in particular in terms of allies on this issue, if that is in fact the case? Yeah, it does sound, if they're first going to go Japan and the Netherlands, what's the what's the common factor there? And it turns out that these are the bases of the biggest companies that actually do chip manufacturing equipment. So this is not manufacturing chips themselves, but manufacturing the gear that lets you do those. So there's a really big brands in both of those markets that really dominate that particular segment. So by getting agreement from them, they're effectively trying to cut off China's access to things that will make it possible for it to build larger scale factories and more manufacturing of its own for chips, particularly in the military sector, which seems to be the the big fear that's really driving this particular set of export restrictions. Now, what do we know about the existence of these deals themselves? What's publicly been said? Uh, not a whole lot, but we've, we've had a few comments on the sidelines of some events in Washington where US officials have said, yes, you can absolutely talk to our friends uh, in Japan and the Netherlands, they will talk to you about it. And there are suggestions that, yes, okay, the deals have been done, but we have not seen a lot of information on this yet. We will expect that in due course. Ultimately, if there is a kind of export ban list, that will become visible in those countries. But at this stage, it seems to be more about posturing and just kind of saying, hey, yeah, this is coming. Yeah, this policy is having an impact. Interesting. So we do, do we know anything about the size of any such impact? Is there anything that we can see that may be tied to this? Uh, it's it's very hard to tell because the nature. It's often very difficult to tell how well any Chinese business is performing because it's notoriously opaque in terms of what's revealed, and um, so it's very hard to see that immediate short-term impact. But we have seen ex- examples of you know big impacts from similar things in the past. The one that's probably most familiar to most Australians is with Huawei, the big um, you know telecoms manufacturer, which had had quite a big presence in phones in Australia, but then after a result, a, a bunch of export bans, again driven by security. Concerns, concerns. Uh, effectively, they've all kind of disappeared. So we do, th- yeah, I think there's evidence that these things can have some impact, but it's going to be a while before we see how this particular one plays out and whether it really does slow down Chinese attempts to build its own chip building capacity. If you've just joined us, Angus Kidman is here talking tech on RN Drive. I'm Sarah Dingle. Angus, chat GPT, everyone's favourite punching bag at the moment. Uh, there's more more brouhaha surrounding chat GPT because it's taking the jobs of another in- industry of human workers. Who is it replacing this time? Well, yes, yeah, so the, one of the areas that perhaps got less attention in all the chat GPT brouhaha has actually been within the technology industry itself because one of the things that chat GPT is really good at is actually writing code. Um, if you ask it to write software that will perform a very specific task, it can do that at a really high level of quality, which in a way is not surprising because code is repetitive in a way that, you know, sort of creative communication is not. So there are only a certain number of ways you'd want to do something. So, but yeah, 
because it's so good at doing this, yeah, it's expected that tech companies are going to, you know, run wild and take it up. And we've seen a lot of tech companies laying off tech staff in the past quarter. There were big layoffs at Google, big layoffs at Facebook. Just this week, PayPal was cutting a lot of staff. And part of the driver for this is the notion that for a more junior developer, some of the things where you'd ask them to write code, you can probably get at least the base level code generated by these kinds of automatic tools and then have more experience and senior engineers review it, perhaps refine it. But it really is in those sectors, it seems likely. We're actually going to see that impact before we see the really widespread impact coming in the creative industries and in education, which has been where a lot of the public discussion to date is focused. Mm. And now ChatGBT is allegedly trialling a subscription service in the US, which costs about 20 bucks US every month. The free service is still available, but in a who could have seen this coming move, I guess it won't be free forever. Is that right? Absolutely, because yes, um, yeah, Chat AI, the company that's running ChatGPT, it's you know, it's in it to make a profit. So, um, it now wants to sort of test the waters. The main thing you get if you pay for it is that you you're guaranteed access to the service because it's been so popular, it's been hard to get at. But the free thing has been good for ChatGPT. It's given it the ability to get lots and lots of people to try things, and it's managed to train it to be even more efficient. And having done that, having got millions of us to volunteer and make it more efficient, now it can say, right, well, we're going to start charging for this service, and that was always going to be the end game. The big users of this service will not be individuals typing in queries. They will be big corporations feeding information into it, getting information back, and then doing other things with that. That's really what the end goal for this kind of business has always been. Wow. I have to admit at this point that we are here at RN Drive kind of guilty of training ChatGPT because when Novak Djokovic won the Australian Open, many people might not know this, but he, he does appear rapping on a, a track which is available online. So we got ChatGPT to write Novak another rap and it was a really good rap. I think if he pursues his rapping career, he should pay 20 bucks a month to get ChatGPT to, to spit out tracks yeah. for him. It was really good. Well, I, it's, uh, no, I think in this area, like ChatGPT has done well, it's got a large body of stuff to work with. It has a clear structure because you do want rhymes and it knows everything that rhymes and it can come up with unusual things for that. So yeah, you've sort of trained you've trained it well with that, but you can reassure yourself that actually it doesn't know any of the tennis results since 2021. So there's still some work to do. But that's just really strong. So. Okay, now to Tesla. Elon Musk can't keep out of the news, of course. Uh, he has now lost oh, 140 million US after making a bet on Bitcoin with Tesla money last year. Oh, this has got to hurt. Well, I mean, you sort of think, I mean, it's got to hurt for Tesla shareholders. We have to remind ourselves we always equate the two. But in fact, Musk is independent. But yes, he drove this idea that they should, you know, purchase, it was, I think it was something like $2 billion worth of um, Bitcoin, there was the idea this was going to be a great thing. And instead now, like a year later, as a listed company, they're saying, oh, hang on, we've lost like 10% of the value of that. That's painful, but I should be fair. The value of Bitcoin's gone down by a lot more than that. If you were an average investor who'd gone into it at the same time, you'd be worse off now than than Tesla was because it did manage to sell some of it during the year, turn it back into regular currency. So it's down, but it could have been down by a lot more. It's an open question as to how much Elon um, gets upset when his words are, uh, I suppose, when, when, when the conversation shifts. But he did talk up the purchase of Bitcoin a lot. And now he has repeatedly said it's absurd to believe his tweets and what he says couldn't possibly have a meaningful effect on markets. What, what do we take from this? 
Uh, we take from this that Elon that really wants to make sure he doesn't get busted for you know, <laughs> influencing the price of, the, of shares that he's invested in in ways that other people couldn't have known about. I think this is him being cautious. It's really clear. You can see that there have been points when Bitcoin has boomed because of something Musk has said. We've also seen this with other coins like Dogecoin, which really wouldn't be a major crypto if it hadn't been repeatedly promoted by him. Like The correlation seems really, really clear. So, But at the same time, the fact that that can happen doesn't mean that the market that you know, cryptocurrencies are immune from all the other influences, and that's why at the moment they are very much down. And so, yeah, he can have this effect of lifting them up, but on his own, he's not going to be able to make one of them live or die. Angus Kidman, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Thank you. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music, and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.